0: The square was magic! Beware your human heart. <laughs> this is <a, laughs> the Diabolical Index for March 5th, uh, where the pages of the uncanny reside. I'm coming to you live from Rising Sun, Indiana, Paradox City Books and Games, uh, and I'm pleased to announce that I'm finally part of the Magic Squirrel Network family. They gave me uh, Herculobulus, Hercobulubus, Herco Hercolubus, something or the red planet. Uh, you may not know what that means, but it means a lot to the pointless discussion guys. Uh, and it has has a lot to do with uh, astral transcendence and uh, improv comedy. I don't know. Um, I have no idea what it's all about. There's some sort of crimson planet that's uh, coming down to destroy earth and it has something to do with spiritual uh, transcendence. But I wanna get the, the cam on that one? Yeah, some technical difficulties, I'm uh, having to use some notes tonight, I'm, I'm a little out of it, but um, that's alright, because uh, all I care about is that we had the, the maiden voyage of the Animankai podcast last night, and uh, it was awesome, this, uh the network's newest anime, manga, and kaiju based podcast, so uh, that's where I was given my personal copy of the, the Red Planet, Herculobus. Herculubus. Herculubus. I'm, I'm going to say it right one of these days. At least I don't have to say uh, that, that one name of that that one character from the from the Choosing Your Own Adventure the other day. Decent Mix of Mimus or something like that. But uh, yeah, has a lot to do with me being on uh, Pointless Discussions this Thursday at 10 p.m. Uh, I have no idea what I'm getting into, but definitely uh, tune in to check that out and see uh, what they have in store for me there. And also... Uh, While you're checking out Pointless Discussions on MagicSquirrelNetwork.com, make sure to go to their GoFundMe page to help them get the new uh, theme song done by Royish Good Looks uh, while you're there to help them out with that. It's always appreciated. And uh, let's see here. Yeah, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. Cinematic reality is coming to fruition, and you can do your part to help them out at Studio 605 and the original... Kings of Ohio County Indie Horror, as well as uh, Brandon Pruitt, the uh, the host of the upcoming, completely uh, positive. No, that's not true at all. Uh, uh, movie review podcast called Previews. He puts the GAT in negativity, uh, but uh, he's he's going to be going to be the director on that one, and um, it ought to be cool. So make sure to go to their Indiegogo. Uh, it's branched off of TJ's, the infamous TJ's, a heckles and horror podcast link on there and go to their Indiegogo and help them out. And, uh, there's some nice perks in it. Uh, apparently you can go on a date with most of the, uh, studio 605 guys and been there, done that. Uh, I've got tattoos. No, I don't have tattoos, but I do have scars and uh, they're mostly psychological. So, uh, make sure to, to check that out and help them out too. Okay, so now that, that that stuff is out of the way, uh, there are a couple of pretty notable births and deaths from this week in literary history. Uh, the birth for the week is Brett Easton Ellis. He's the uh, the author of Less Than Zero, uh, which I, I always thought was probably one of the best captured high school, um, I guess you'd call it like an 80s... Uh, glam I don't know it's it's a real it it encompasses it really personifies the 80s for me uh with the the presentation of what it's like to to be in high school and then beyond and the the pitfalls that have to do with friends and how sometimes you know the the ties that bind can end up being a knife in the back so um that's that's a great one and then you know the follow-up um and actually I I believe it was a follow-up it was definitely a follow-up uh chronologically uh, fictionally, but I don't know if which one came first, to be honest, but, um, the rules of attraction that end, both of those have, have become movies and, uh, the rules of attraction was also excellent. I read it when I was in college and it, it was probably the, the best, um, the best representation of collegiate life that I could possibly have asked for. And it's, uh, they're all written in this real choppy staccato, um, almost a, uh, stream of consciousness. Uh, framework to put the ideas across, but there's no stream of consciousness that even compares to probably his most famous novel, which is American Psycho. the The infamous novel became a Christian Bale vehicle, and there's no doubt about it that uh, that book tore me up when I read that. Um, I read it in college, and I probably read it in like six hours. It was a quick read because it's such a it's such a frenetic, dense, uh, just collection of thoughts from this absolute psychopath. And once I was done, um, I was so rattled that I actually had to go do something cheerful, which is unusual for me. Usually I can take that stuff pretty well, but that, uh, that wrecked me. Um, so uh, moving on to the, the death in literary history, Ian uh, Rand, the author of Are We the Living... And Atlas shrugged, and um, and probably I don't know I don't know which one would be her most famous because it seems like she didn't she didn't do much fictional stuff, but the stuff that she did it was all uh, provocative and controversial. Uh, Atlas shrugged the the Fountainhead. Uh, my favorite of hers is probably uh, Anthem, which is a very small dystopian book, and I think that sometimes it gets overlooked. It was actually recommended to me. Um, I don't know, probably something like 20 years ago or something like that. And uh it, it's a it's a dystopia where everyone refers to each other as um as uh, I think it was there was no I. So you call yourself we or uh or they, which I or what's that now? Like no, it's not like a hive mind or anything like that. I I well, I mean, I guess you know, you might be right, but I but when I think of collective, I think of a um I think of um people who do it of their own accord. And this is something you're born into where, uh, it's probably, um, there are probably all sorts of analyses of, of the book that would, uh, maybe point towards a, I don't know, a kind of an amplified communism, but I don't know about any of that stuff. I've, I'm not a political animal, but, uh, political is definitely what she was in her philosophy uh, she was the founder of objectivism, uh, which is basically distilled down into just a, a couple of words is basically, you know, the object of existence is to live. So, you know, self-esteem and just kind of a, I don't know, I guess you could kind of say it was kind of a selfish philosophy, but, uh, it just had to do with the self and, and ambition and things like that, which obviously I have a bookstore in the 21st century, so, I must not be that ambitious, but anyway, that's the, that's the births and deaths in literary history. Uh, so we'll move on to talking about the books, uh, for tonight for the Diabolical Index entry number three, uh, but fifth episode. So it's pretty wild that it's, it's already been, um, a little over a month since we started this whole thing. And, um, and now there's a brand new podcast coming this week, hopefully. And, uh, it's really been, it's been an experience and I don't know, it started a lot of things. A lot of people have, have contacted me from the past and I've made a lot of new friends due to it just, you know, in the month and a half or the month and a week that it's been going on. So it's been great. But the, basically the, um, I don't know if you call it a theme, but basically a thread that was going through these, these things. Uh, the second one isn't. A book on its own is actually a, a story, um, and I have mentioned it uh, on my promo uh, yesterday from the Anamankai podcast, but uh, the first book is The Boy Who Drew Monsters by Keith Donahue. Donahue, Donna sorry about that. I didn't want to say Donahoe, it makes it sound Hawaiian or something. But uh, basically, the, the second uh, work is a short story that... Should be known to all of you, and if it isn't, it's a it's a great disservice. Um, It's W. W. Jacobs's "The Monkey's Paw," which, in my opinion, is one of the it's one of the great short stories of all time. Um, M. Night Shyamalan wish he wishes he could come up with a with a a story like this one, Uh, just due to the it it, it's so twisty and turvy. But I mean, it's not unbelievable because both of these books kind of it's definitely a contrast this time, but there, but there are similarities between the, the kind of like the drive and the thrust of the story, because on one hand you kind of have the, the perception versus reality question where, you know, we use our eyes and our ears and our uh, other senses, but they can be, you know, they can be deceiving. They can fool us. A lot of people say, you know, they, well, I must have been seeing things. I must have been hearing things. Um, when I was a kid, I didn't really believe that. I, I didn't have a whole lot of uh, experience with that. I I experienced a a really intense fever when I was a kid that that kind of almost had allowed me to have hallucinations, but kind of put me in a hallucinatory state because I guess that my brain was uh, of a higher temperature than it's supposed to be. But even then, I, I knew right from wrong and, and what was there in front of me and what wasn't. But I think as I'm getting older, I, I have started to see things out of the corner of my eye, which kind of uh, links, links these two things together in a slight way. But on the other hand, they're also both stories in one way or another about how what we want could possibly be what scares us and beware, you know beware of what you wish for so uh there are there are desires and there are wants and needs that a lot of times as children no one even think to contemplate and as adults we couldn't even explain so uh the first one the boy who drew monsters i'm going to show this over here it's a wonderful cover it's a really stark um contrast between the the lettering and the background and it, it's almost, a, it's almost spectral, maybe even electric. And it shows, a kind of like a casting of light off the water. And strangely enough, when I was, uh, when I was reading it, I realized that, uh, it's kind of a, a supernatural horror story, thriller, psychologically charged family drama, which if you think about it, since it's set in Maine and there's also, uh, you know, It's on the water. There's a peninsula where the father, Tim, uh, he has to take care of kind of like derelict uh, buildings just due to vacationers or timeshares. So there are these large um, buildings of the rich and kind of like abodes of people who are above, you know, his standing that are just sitting there derelict and vacant. It's like tombstones like across the peninsula and he can go in and kind of visit their lives and, and see these empty places and kind of root through the, the secrets and the, the, uns- the unsaid things of these families that uh, have somewhere better to be at the time. And it kind of takes him away from the conflicts in his own life that, uh, that had been started when his son, John Peter, uh, ends up nearly drowning in the ocean outside of the peninsula and if I didn't mention it, it's in Maine so if you think about a horror story set in Maine I mean it's easy to make assumptions of who you would normally think of in that respect which would be Stephen King and it's funny though because one thing that I noticed with this story is that it keeps coming back to the, the symbolic symbolic and actual um, power and um, and deadly force and sometimes mysterious depths of water. Um, I know that I was talking about Shyamalan, Shyamalan earlier, and he's obsessed with the uses of water in stories. But uh, in this case, you know, it's a it's a little more palpable, especially when you think about um, the kind of like the transitory medium of water. A lot there are a lot of resurrection stories. Uh, you know, there are baptismal stories where things pass through water and are changed when they come through the other side. Uh, like, I mean, I guess a good example would be Jason Voorhees in the fighter of the 13th films where, uh, he, he gets betrayed and then he dies and goes to the bottom of crystal Lake. And that ends up kind of being where he resides. That's his resting place until he's born again multiple times, you know, to, to wreak havoc, uh, at camp blood And also, um, in the, uh, in Constantine, the movie Constantine, when, uh, when Keanu Reeves wants to take a slight jaunt into hell, he ends up putting his feet, bare feet into a bowl of water. So, uh, in mythology, water has been seen as the great boundary line, like underneath, you know, there, there's an underworld, uh, it wouldn't be subterranean, but there would be depths. That might uh, figure to be another plane even of existence, where you could travel just by passing through water, and you know the fog, the movie The Fog, where you know the the pirates seeking revenge come out of the fog and the waters uh, to to find their their booty and things that are are owed to them. And there's also you know the the idea of scrying, where you look at the reflections off the water, just like on the on the cover of the book and you can see the future um, but with with this story John Peter JP or Jip they call him Jip he kind of gives the idea of um, they don't as far as I know they don't mention it in the book and I kind of applaud him for that it seems like there is a there's a prevalence in, in current uh, media to use autism as some sort of magical um uh, sort of magical state of being and it causes, you know, it's it's problematic for people and sometimes it can be traumatic, but it's also, you know, a way of life. It's uh it's a part of people. And, you know, in, in the in the form of Asperger's and, and autism, sometimes they can see it as a as a heightened awareness, which isn't I mean, that's definitely true. But sometimes it can also be a harrowing experience for the people who have to go through it. So luckily in this case it seems like uh just the the circumstances and the personality of the child and is it is most definitely a child that's that's the the lead character in the book and um, his his thoughts and dreams and mostly nightmares and recollections of almost drowning at sea and the things that he brought back with him and actually the things that he creates uh as in the title of the book the you know the titular boy who drew monsters and he draws these monsters, and I guess there's kind of a, there could be a double meaning there, where he draws them, you know, just as simple as that. He uh, he uses his artistic uh, talent, which is newborn. They don't, they didn't even know that he had it before, and he could. It may be because he's kind of like looking through the window of the, of the paper to draw things that he sees in his mind. So that's that makes it a little bit easier. But on the other hand, it could be that he's drawing them out from their resting places. Cause I mean, they're surrounded by water, the place where he, he must've met them almost on the other side of his life. And also, you know, from the hidden places in the, the dark, uh, the dark Hills of the peninsula. So he actually has a friend, Nick. It's his only remaining friend, uh, because he most definitely has, uh, some post-traumatic stress due to the drowning. So due to that, um, he won't even allow his own mother, uh, Holly, to even touch him without lashing out uh, and and beating her just mercilessly through this, this fog of just terror. Um, but at the same time, he he's asking for the monsters to show themselves through these pictures. And his friend Nick, uh, who, you know, just in, in the childlike way, the secret ways kind of almost like a a pirate's way where you, you know, you send coded messages. Uh, Jip finds a message that says simply draw more monsters. And I don't know if it's it's a mischievous thing on the, on the part of Nick wanting to see how far he can take it uh, and see what Jip can bring out of the darkness to, you know, to keep him company. But It's, it's a terrifying story, mostly from the sense of, you know, I, I'm a new parent myself. So I can imagine what it would be like to not even be able to touch to, you know, to embrace your child without them lashing out just due to sheer terror uh, due to not knowing what's, you know, what might be closing their arms around them. Uh, But at the same time, he's bringing them out. He's maybe even creating them out of his own memory and uh and the post-traumatic stress that drowning nearly drowning almost you know cost him his life and maybe gave him a glimpse into something on the other side that he he can't get away from but at the same time he can't do without so it's a really complex story but i think that's what um that's what sort of links it i don't want to i don't want to say much more about it because it's a it's a very uh it's a very engaging story and I think to uh, to analyze it too much without kind of like seeing it through the veil of your own experience by reading the book, I think that it would cheapen the the impact and the effect. But kind of um, kind of not knowing that what you want could actually hurt you or even kill you, I think that that's the point, and that's what kind of led me to connect this book, uh, The Boy Who Drew Monsters. To the story in uh, the Big Book of Ghost Stories, uh, W.W. Jacobs's The Monkey's Paw. Uh, you want to see this here? It's a it's a dense uh, collection, uh, and it's fantastic because uh, most of the most of the stories in there are from easily uh, fifty years ago, even a hundred years ago. I think there's some. Rudyard Kipling in here. And, uh, of course one of my big favorites, Isaac Asimov, Oscar Wilde, and, uh, a lot of, a lot of British authors. I, I believe that HP Lovecraft might've snuck in here somewhere too. But, um, basically with, uh, with WW w. Jacobs and the monkey's paw, it's a story that has been examined many times in many different forms. Actually in one way it was examined in, um, And a Tales from the Crypt uh, movie that, uh, I can't remember if it was Tales from the Crypt or Vault of Horror, but I think it was Tales from the Crypt movie that came out uh, in the 70s, strangely enough, um, from Amicus. It was a British uh, production company, which is is totally strange because I don't think that anything could be more quintessentially American than Tales from the Crypt and the EC horror comics of that era uh, during the Comics Code Authority uh, crackdown and seduction of the innocent kind of uh, um, blacklisting and the witch hunts that happened during that time. But they, they revisit it, uh, except they change the, the story slightly. I guess that with the monkey's paw, um, it might be one of those things where it's like an urban legend. It passes from one person uh, to another, and they kind of code it with their experience, and then it gets whittled away uh, with, the, with each telling, but, uh, like I said, during the, the uh promo, I'd actually read this story to, uh, to Melanie and Lucy one night, uh, once I got the book and, and started reading through the stories to see if there was any that kind of, like, resonated with the boy who drew monsters, and um, it was funny, because Lucy out of the two, I thought she was going to be completely terrified about the, the notion, but it ended up being Melanie, uh, the older of the two that, uh, they were really latched on and it kind of freaked her out. Even with a lot of the, uh, a lot of the language is kind of antiquated and kind of the, the, um, the relationship between man and wife, uh, it's kind of outdated, but, um, but the story remains the same, and the impact of uh, "Be careful what you wish for" uh, definitely definitely comes through. Uh, I don't know if anyone's read that. I would imagine that most of you at least heard the story in one way or another. But it's about a man and wife, and they they receive a visitor who's an old, craggy uh, sea. Uh, I believe he's a sea captain, or he was a general, and he was some sort of uh, soldier or um, or military officer. And he had just he is war weary, world weary, and he he's seen it all and done it all. But what he can't quite explain, and what it seems like he begrudgingly wants to get rid of, is this little trinket, almost like a talisman, from across the sea. And it's just a small, crumpled, uh, grizzled little mummified monkey's paw, and he said that uh, he got it. Yeah, he he kind of alludes to having uh, having maybe won it or um, got it in some game of chance and whatever it is, he's not too happy to have had it, and he's seen uh, he's seen them some things. Uh, through transferring it to his hands that he, uh, he's not, I guess he doesn't want to do the husband a disservice, but he is more than happy to allow this person to fall into uh, a trap in order to get it off of his hands and, uh, whatever blood or history or betrayal, you know, is, is all over them due to the monkey's paw. But, uh, basically Uh, the story is, is that you can make three wishes on it and uh, the wishes will come true according to the, uh, the hocus pocus and heebie jeebies that, you know, that the, the military officer ascribes to it and the person that he got it from must have, but there's a knowing wink in his eye that tells them that there might be something to it. So, uh, they, uh, you know, as as you're wont to do, you look at the thing and it kind of like sticks out on the table, and they they kind of avoid it for a little while, and um, and their son who has been visiting uh, gets called away, and the wife asks for lots of money to be rich, and uh, all of a sudden they they get uh, they receive word that their son was killed in a in an accident, and they stand to to become rich due to the insurance money on his, uh, upon his death. So they know that, you know, what they wanted ended up causing the demise of, of their dearest born. So it goes on from there. I'm kind of hesitant to tell the whole story because it's, it's great, but basically, um, you have to be careful of, of what you wish for. And, uh, a lot of times the devil can give you what you want, but it's, it's not always in the way that you think, and it ends up being uh, more trouble than it's worth, and it might even cost you your soul. But with the, the whole uh, the water element and uh, seeing things out of the corner of your eye, I, I, uh, I forgot to, to mention something about the, uh, the, the boy who drew monsters. There are monsters on this peninsula, but they are only seen out of the corner of the father's eye. He's driving Nick home uh, from a visit because uh, Jip has lost all of his friends due to uh, due to not being able to not have these attacks and I mean I, I hesitate to say seizure but these outbursts that that make it difficult for kids to get along because you know if they they bump into each other in a in a game of touch football then he'll end up beating them to a pulp but when he's bringing Nick home one night. Uh, The father looks over one of the hills and he sees this kind of amorphous blob kind of sprout legs and starts scuttling across the hill and he kind of he doesn't see it directly full on so it's one of those things where he kind of pulls a a uh uh, ebenezer scrooge line out of his hat and, and says to himself you know maybe it was just something i ate maybe i i don't know maybe it's too late and you know, dealing with Jip and his and his uh, his terrors, and going back in the dark. You know, maybe I'm seeing things. Maybe it wasn't really there, or maybe it was in the back of my head somewhere. But at the same time, he almost becomes obsessed with the idea. So he ends up wandering the dunes and wandering the um, the hills and secret places on the peninsula, trying to see whether or not he's actually seeing what he saw, or if it's some sort of crazy hobgoblin in the back of his mind somewhere which reminded me as i was reading it of something that actually happened to me one time and um i uh i ended up uh calling into a radio show actually there's a there's a radio show uh coast to coast am and i used to deliver uh pharmaceuticals out of a a warehouse uh, independent contractor for old folks homes late at night really late at night so i'd be driving out in the middle of nowhere you know you're doing these deliveries and you get paid by the mile so you want to go out as far a field as you possibly can and sometimes you end up in the middle of nowhere and that's exactly where i was and um i'm not exactly sure what kind of field that the road cut through but it seemed like i was driving on it forever and uh they were just waving um, waving fields of some kind of plant i'm not sure if yeah. i know it wasn't corn but you know someone I, i've mentioned to many people and some people said it could have been soybeans but i'll be honest even though i live in rising sun i wouldn't know a soybean if i was wiping my ass with one but um, it's just okay so there you go i mean that could that can't be right so whatever it was it was uh it was probably taller than a man whatever it was out there but that's where it gets interesting because past it you could see a farmhouse like way off in the distance somewhere and the only thing that was lighting the way really um I didn't have a whole lot in the way of um headlights for some reason. That car it was a it was a car that I had beaten up time and time again to do the that delivery job and, and my my lights were really dim. And there weren't any street because it was just kinda like a farm road. And so I've noticed that they uh, they tend to try to hide old folks' homes, so people aren't constantly looking at them and, and making themselves aware of, of what's to come, you know, the the decrepitude of old age in, in some areas, but um, I'm driving through these long grasses or weeds or something, whatever it was, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm it's cold and the moon is kind of like lighting the way and stuff. And I'm really, um, I'm really cognizant of trying to not hit a deer. Like if a deer were to walk out in in front of the, or through the, you know, through the grasses or whatever it was, walk out in front of me, I wanted to be ready because I wasn't so sure that the, the light would point him out to me before I hit him. So a little bit farther away, probably, I don't know if I had to guess, I'd say something like a hundred yards away. I see something kind of poking out through the grass i'm gonna call it grass is all i can say but it was definitely taller than man Um, and something pokes out so i slow down and i see it start to walk out uh, on four legs so i'm like well this is that deer i was looking for and as i'm getting closer to it it stands up on two legs and this is probably something like three or four in the morning we were always trying to get, you know, three and a half hour one way trips. So we ended up spending our whole uh, eight hour shift for, uh, up and back, and we get paid for the mileage. So I can't say that I wasn't tired. I was definitely tired. But I think I would know the difference between, you know, just some kind of, I don't know, some kind of thing that I would guess is something else just from a, you know, a flicker of the moonlight or, or my own headlights or just, you know, my own fatigue of driving all night, but it stood up and something I, I mean, I can't even explain that. But one thing that I definitely can't explain is that when I was coming up on it, it was like this white flapping motion where its head should have been and it scared the living shit out of me. There's no doubt about it. Um, I did not slow down. I did not try to see what it was and I didn't look in my rearview mirror. I just hit the gas and kept going. Um, I've had a lot of theories of what it was. I mean, four in the morning, it was walking on all fours. It was brown in color. And then all of a sudden it stood up. I mean, in hindsight, I was thinking, well, maybe there's some guy, you know, who was drunk on a whatever night that was. And then he ends up stumbling out into the field and he's just stuck there. And he was, you know, he might've had like a white t-shirt or something. He was just trying to flag me down with it. But, um, I don't know. I've never been sure and I'll never find out because I didn't stick around, um, to find out what it was. And, you know, in my, in my imaginings, I've thought, you know, maybe that's, maybe it was some kind of Bigfoot monster that had a, a bird in its mouth. I was trying to eat, and the bird was flapping around. Whatever it was, it's it's one of those stories that is just too weird, even for me to have made up. Uh, but I can see where the the character in uh, the boy who drew monsters is coming from because sometimes you're not quite sure that you were seeing things, and you're not quite sure that something might not be out there, especially if your if your son keeps going on about the monsters that fall out from the ocean. You might be interested to see what it was, especially if it, uh, isn't a, uh, a human agency. You may want to try to see what the milky white fish bellied creature that just crawled past your car might've been. So it doesn't end up scratching at your windows at night or anything like that. So, so there you go. Um, wonderful books, wonderful. There's wonderful stories, uh, in this book, the big book of ghost stories, and I didn't even scratch the surface. That's only one of the many stories that are in there. And I probably won't even get through all of them before I um, take it back to the library. So uh, the library has been a great help to me during these um, podcasts. Uh, they supplied me with a lot of books that it might have been difficult to find otherwise. Um, like one I was thinking of actually uh, while I was reading uh, the Boy Who, Who Drew Monsters. Um, there was one I thought of that is difficult to find. I used to have a copy of it uh, a long time ago, but, um, having the bookstore, it, it probably slips through the cracks. I ended up accidentally selling it, uh, and whoever made off with it ended up having a gem because, uh, it's one of those, uh, critically acclaimed yet little known, uh, horror authors that kind of, uh, transcend genre, kind of like Clive Barker, um, Cathay, i hope I'm saying it right. It's K-A-T-H-E-K-O-J-A. I always have said Cathay Koya. That's what I've always said. It might be Koja. I'm not sure. But she's written um, a lot of books. And she had a big um, she had a big explosion in the in the 90s on a Dell imprint called the Abyss book line. And it was kind of a uh, it was a line where. It was, it was horror that skirted the edge of, uh, there was a lot of, uh, sadomasochistic themes and, uh, just kind of like cyberpunk themes and, you know, um, different things that kind of, uh, kind of skirted the edge of horror and sometimes went into like science fiction areas and, and different things. Um, but she wrote one called bad brains which is about a, a guy and it, 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 reminded me a whole lot of this because instead of a child, you have a man. And, uh, I believe he's kind of in the throes of alcoholism where his, uh, his normal, um, perception is altered due to being inebriated most of the time. But he ends up being, he, he ends up being in an altercation in a parking lot where he's actually ridiculing someone. And for his trouble, he ends up, I think he just trips or something or like somebody backs out and he's trying to avoid them on foot and he ends up cracking his head. He ends up in the hospital. But ever since he wakes up in the hospital, I think he might've been in a minor coma. uh, He kind of has the idea that the coma brought something back because just out of his sight and in his eyeline, he sees this silvery snotty. He even like he, he, that's not mine. You know, he, he describes it as a mucousy membranous serpent that just kind of like slithers up the wall and out behind a picture and over a door, like just out of his, uh, out of his sight in his periphery. And he, um, it just drives him crazy. It's a paranoia that, that ensues because he does, he starts to not know what's real anymore because he sees this, um, this creature without an eye or without, you know, without a body. But for some reason, you know, he might think that it has a mouth and it might be coming to take some lifeblood or maybe even a soul or, you know, his brains. And that's kind of where the bad brains comes from. He doesn't know if there are worms just um, slithering around his brain ever since the uh, ever since the accident. And this really reminded me of it because uh, there's trauma. There's an experience you can't explain. There's, uh, you know, with this child, Jip. I mean, he he basically... He's cut off from the world, so... That kind of, you know, falls in line with... I think his name is August. I can't remember off the top of my head. But... in uh, Bad Brains, I mean. Uh, and he's in a coma, so he's cut off as well. And they both came back uh, from the brink uh, of consciousness with... Something they had brought with them. And that they don't necessarily want, but they're obsessed to find out whether or not they have. Which can also be bad. But... Yeah, definitely. Um, keep an eye out for those. If you can find, um, you can find the boy who drew uh, monsters practically anywhere. Um, it's it's pretty new. It's uh, it came out from the author of the stolen child. His name is Keith Donahue. and uh, the big book of ghost stories. I think that it's a Black Lizard. Yeah, it's a Black Lizard publication, and I can totally recommend finding any Black Lizard imprinted book that you can find. And they're all wonderful. They tend to do a lot of um, old school noir type uh, crime stories. A lot of Jim Thompson, like the Grifters, and uh, and uh, Raymond Chandler's... Uh, is that Sam Spade? Sam Spade. And... Or no, I'm sorry. Sorry. Philip Marlowe. Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe. Sam Spade is Dashiell Hammett um, of the Maltese Falcon. But... Um, Anytime you see a black lizard imprinted book, you should totally buy it. It's it's wonderful. I never had one that's let me down. Chester Himes, they put out the uh, The Real Cool Killers. It was a very early uh black uh experience based crime novel from the ghettos and things like that. Um so check that out. But uh definitely uh if you can find uh Katha a book, any one of them. In fact, uh she wrote Um, she wrote skin skin was actually the first book of hers that I read. And it was kind of a time, um, as you can tell by my pallor, I'm not much of a beachcomber. I had gone on vacation with my family and, uh, we went to St. Augustine by the forts, uh, with, to stay with some family. And of course, just like you think, you know, there's paradise, there's the ocean and sand and beautiful vistas. So of course I'm looking for a bookstore, right? And, uh, I just find this little rinky dink bookstore, but it was just, it was fantastic. And I ended up, um, seeing this really interesting cover of a book called Skin by Kathy Koya. And, um, you look at the cover and the cover is kind of like a, a reverse negative of a, f- a fingerprint. And when you get into that one, I, I won't even go into that one, but, um, there's a whole psychosexual um, performance art, uh, equals, you know, pain equals art and, uh, and different things kind of like a, a transcendent, um, vision of, of what it's like to kind of like thrust your body into the void and come back with, I don't know, uh, heightened understanding of, of what what it's like to feel. But that's a, that's a fantastic one. Although, I tried to read it not too long ago, and it's it's one of those things where it's so '90s, it's so '90s that it's difficult to kind of it's difficult to embrace it. It's it's of a time, so it's difficult to to embrace that one. But Bad Brains is fantastic, and actually, uh, those two, in my opinion, uh, aren't even her her best work. I think that her best work. And it is a—it's an absolute terrifying shame that it hasn't become a movie yet, uh, especially now. I mean, congratulations, Guillermo del Toro. Um, I think best director and best picture for *Shape of Water*. Right. Um, I have to say that now is the time because um, *The Cipher* is a, a book, and I think it may have been her first published book. I'm not quite sure about that, but um, *The Cipher* is far and away one of the most interesting, uh, unusual and unique horror books I had ever read in my life. Um, and you know, basically it's, it's, it's one of those really simple ideas that you don't think could come off and it somehow it totally does, but it takes place in a, in an urban setting. And it's just within the confines of an apartment building. And there's kind of like, a, there's a, a strained relationship between two roommates and, I think it kind of, with the roommates, it fluctuates between uh, girlfriend and then, you know, to flatmate, sort of, and then it's almost like to annoyance, almost, and then back again to the relationship. These people can't, they can't seem to get along, but they can't seem to get away from each other either. But um, I think in something as totally mundane as uh, a washroom, where, you know, someone's about to do laundry or something the, um, the girl finds a hole in the floor and it's not a hole that's been cut by a a saw or a drill or, you know, or the rotting, um, linoleum. It's a hole that she says is organically there, almost like a pore in your skin or, um, or like an orifice, like your mouth or your ear hole. And, um, she becomes obsessed with it because she's seen things fall into it. And when they come back out again, or she's actually plucked them out, uh, they're different somehow. And she ends up spending time in the, in the washroom and she becomes so obsessed that she just stays in there all the time. Cause there's like a strange, almost like a radioactivity that comes off of it. That, uh, that stimulates her libido and stimulates her, Um, her thoughts and it's almost like a hallucinatory haze that she that she's in when she's there like an endorphin rush and the and the man becomes involved in the entire apartment building and uh, I think if I remember correctly she wants to see what it does to like a human piece of flesh so I'm just gonna leave that right there but look uh, look out for the cipher Um, totally fantastic but it just seems like now's the time for a story like that. And it doesn't, it doesn't suffer so much from the, um, I don't know, the 90s lag that Skin does. Uh, although, if you were going to do, I mean, I, I guess it's totally possible. And it would probably uh, probably benefit the production if you actually did Skin as a 90s period film. And see if you can't capture it. Because, I mean, it's, it's totally, it's meant to be there. And it resides there. But the strangest part of all is that, um, um, kind of like Clive Barker, went on, it, almost into exile for a minute. Uh, I'm not so sure he was doing well um, health-wise for a while. And uh, and he ended up kind of getting out of the limelight, and so did she. She was kind of um, at the forefront of these things, and then she kind of backed off. And as, as far as I know, I think she did some children's books uh, for a while, which... I think that, you know, rather than overstaying your welcome in a genre, I think that it's great to kind of branch out and do other things. So, yeah, check her out. Check out Keith Donahue and uh, go back in time. Look at the the big book of ghost stories for things from the past. And uh, you'll definitely find a lot of stuff in here that'll uh, pique your interest and give you the heebie-jeebies and the, the, the shakes and all that stuff deep into the night, even though it's been... Uh, you know, it was written before the advent of the combustion engine. A lot of times, but that's cool. But anyway, that's what I had to offer tonight. The, the Diabolical Index. Uh, it was a little scattered. It was kind of, uh, you know, there was a family of things that I want to talk about rather than just two. So that's all right, though. Uh, it touched on a bunch of stuff. But uh, you know, while I'm here, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to pass over the fact that you know we got a new podcast coming up this week. Most likely Wednesday, uh, no promises, but the, the uh, Anime, Manga, Kaiju podcast with Marco Planip and, uh, and Andrew Sefton is coming your way. Um, they did a great job. I thought that it really fell into their, uh, from their own experience with that, and they really took off, um, and uh, make sure that you don't forget uh, Heckles and Horror uh, will be coming at you Wednesday. At 10 p.m. rather than tomorrow night, uh, TJ will be missed tomorrow night. Uh, but he, you know, we have lives, so he had, to, you know, he was interested in something, he went after it, which is how people make podcasts, in my opinion. So there you go. Uh, but through Heckles and Horror uh, link, make sure that you uh, go to the Cinematic Reality and go page and help them out with that. I've been talking about it a lot. Can't really talk about it enough because uh, there there can't be enough uh, creativity. So if you can help them make that, especially since Studio 605, um, I think they're in need of a good thriller. The, they've uh, they've been going after the horror and stuff so so hard at it that um, I think it's I think it's really interesting. They want to stretch their legs with um, more of a conventional take on on uh, on the thriller and the terror of kind of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, so yeah, check it out. Definitely Uh, go there and help them out. Anything you can do. There are all kinds of perks. I think that there's a perk for, um, something like, um, thumb drive or, uh, what's that? Flash Flash drive fun, flash drive fun. So you'll be able to get all kinds of exclusive behind the scenes photographs, uh, and maybe even some video, I think like behind the scenes stuff that they'll give to you on a flash drive. And of course the, the ever popular, um, date with 605. So you can go out with the boys and, um, See what kind of devilry they get into. I've, I've, I've seen it firsthand, and I tell you, you'll never be the same. So definitely throw some coins at them. And uh, speaking of coin, definitely go to um, the GoFundMe for Pointless Discussions. Um, my boys, I'm gonna be able to see them on Thursday. I'll be going to the Nuthouse, and who knows what rigors they're gonna put me through. Um, uh, apparently, they're gonna be wanting to talk about me, which is always uh, terrifying to. To, to speak of because I mean, I don't know. How do you talk about yourself? How do you remember everything? I don't know. I'm gonna have to make notes on that one too. Like I did tonight, but at least I didn't have to refer them the whole time. I just had to kind of get started and, and get on a roll. But, uh, but definitely, uh, go to their, uh, GoFundMe for the new theme song, uh, from the Royish good looks. Uh, went to his, uh, to his YouTube and, He does some interesting things with, with auto tune and kind of like mashups of, uh, of classic and more, you know, more modern, uh, shows and different things like that. So it should be interesting to say the least. I, am actually kind of curious as to whether or not he's going to use sound bites from their podcast to, to make it up. i would be, I'd be surprised if he didn't. So that should be really interesting to, to maybe try to pick those out. And, uh, yeah, check out, uh, paradox city books and games on Facebook. um, Still down here. I had a really good weekend. I met a lot of great people. I actually had uh, a couple of good friends come in from out of town. Uh, shout out to Andrea and the Stone family. Got to meet her, her husband, and uh, his sister, and that was a blast. And um, uh, and actually, the Archer family, which is always uh, it's always a pleasure to see them down here. Minus one, uh, Veronica had to be at work, which always sucks. But um, but yeah, it was great to have them down here as always, and um, it actually gave me a drive to kind of get some things out of the way and clean up around here a little bit, and it made it a little bit easier to set up for the Diabolical Index tonight, so that's always good, and uh, I was able to find some books that I was looking for and that might uh, end up showing up in, in further things. So make sure to check out our videos on uh, YouTube. Actually, let me get out the list. It's a little bit easier. There There are a lot of these now which is good it's not bad it's a good thing but sometimes it all come to mind yeah, I'll find in the news, now. what's that now of it's on the magic yes network. absolutely um magic squirrel has uh, all this stuff but you know just for your information we're on facebook live of course you're probably watching now twitch um and mixer as well as uh youtube uh and it's almost um does, does it go over to youtube immediately yeah. So there you go. It's that I didn't, I thought that there was a trans, there was some kind of, yeah, I thought there was some kind of transmission time lag or something like that. But also the, uh, the audio is on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, um, Stitcher, which is, I think Stitcher is one of my favorites. I find a lot of great podcasts there and, uh, Google play music. So, uh, yeah, actually I can put a shout out and not like I know these guys or anything, but, um, definitely check out horror business. Uh, Podcasts. I'm looking to uh, become a patron of them. They really remind me of uh, of me and a lot of uh, conversations I have about horror and different things and and they know their stuff. They're uh, they're a really great mix of uh, of experience and uh, information and humor. They're uh, and sass. Oh my god, they're sassy, Uh, but they know what they're talking about. They huh? definitely New York, I believe. Um, but, um, I, I think that they're, I think a lot of them have to do with, um, different musical scenes down there. Oh, but also they, I think it's kind of an offshoot of Cinepunks. I think it's with an X and, um, yeah, these guys, they got some serious knowledge about movies and stuff. Whereas horror business, I think is kind of like the, the horror arm of their expertise. And then they have the Cinepunks, um, website and stuff. So I don't know. Shout out, you know, maybe, uh, you never know. It's kind of a, it's a weird, you know, I'm always saying like rarefied atmosphere with a podcast and stuff. You never know if people are going to, uh, going to intermingle. I mean, ever since I started this thing, you know, I'm going to be on discussions this week. And I've talked to a couple of guys in Northern Indiana that, that maybe want to have me out and stuff. And maybe I can, uh, shoot some knowledge of the other, um, squirrel heads uh i don't know i've been putting squirrel on everything lately i'm trying to start a thing i'm not sure you know but hashtag, yeah squirrel hashtag squirrel heads keep it squirrely <laughs> i almost forgot that last night uh was that uh, was that mark on that one was that his baby i think that might have been Mark that through the keep it squirrely out there because oh, really? you know i was i was going for something else and he said that and i was like oh, we're, we're redoing the whole thing because we got to get that going That's going to be on the back of a t-shirt like any day now. Speaking of t-shirts, the 16th, March 16th, is when uh, my stickers should be printing up for Diabolical Index stickers. I'm all about the stickers. Oh, actually, I got all kinds of homemade uh, stickers and stuff uh, for the shop. You got on Book Cam? Uh, So uh, this might be some swagalicious stuff that... We put out for different things, you know, uh, rebooks or else, of course, always. Um, And let's see here. Maybe I can show them like that. Puzzling People Since a Month From Now. I just got those put out. And uh, the ever popular, let me see if I can find the ever popular Books Make Up for Looks. uh, One of my favorites. And I think it's absolutely true. So, yeah, but, uh, hopefully the t-shirts are coming and, uh, stickers and everything else, but the, uh, the Diabolical Index sticker will be emblazoned with the Magic Squirrel, uh, network plug at the bottom of that. So that'll be cool. So I look to see, uh, these stickers and, uh, and all that stuff on everybody's cars. Maybe we can get some kind of like real toothy, open mouth, pointless discussions, I think you could almost do that without the, the Pony Discussions logo. It'd probably just, just be the open mouth on there and then that would say it all. We need a squirrel mobile. So anyone who wants to donate some old uh some old beater, I mean just put a gigantic furry tail on the back of it with a witch's hat. That'd be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we could like <laughs> looking like the thing from Dumber Dumber. Yeah, I, oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. The we could totally use Dumb and Dumber as the as the uh uh the inspiration for that. Especially since I mean I can foresee us going around to different things pretty soon. Uh, we're we're gaining a lot of momentum, and there's a lot of different content coming up, and hopefully more to come. Um, late night with or late night crafts with Mary. Uh, I know that that was a big hit. I was I was a gigantic fan of that. I was all about it, and um, especially like the time slot. It was like four thirty in the morning. I was like, yes, something woke me up, and I was like looking for something to do to kind of lull me back to sleep, and and. Of course I wasn't because I was like, oh man, look what she's making with like bowls and cans and all this stuff, and it just turned out fantastically. And you know, totally modest as always. She's just like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's totally easy to do. I'm like, whatever, (laughs) whatever. And Jack was saying like he, I mean, it does look three dimensional. I mean, was he being for real when he said about those look flat or those don't look flat or anything like that? Yeah, Yeah, I'm not sure. You never really tell with him. He's a he's a (laughs) mysterious guy. Yeah. He's always got a look on his face like he's not sure if he wants to hug you or rip your arms off, which I guess, you know, that's endearing. It's a charming thing. But anyway, that, uh, I think that about wraps it up, don't you? Is there anything else I, uh, I need to put out there? Oh, uh, yeah. Pointless Discussions visit, uh, Thursday at 10 o'clock. Um, uh, the infamous TJ, Wednesday, uh, this week for Heckles and Horror at 10 p.m. also. And then, uh, what is it late night rager Neo Rage Maybe. on Friday night? Yeah, eleven. I think. Eleven. So, I'm do sure. you know what uh, what games coming up this weekend? I do not. For him, I don't. I'm I interested. Kind of beat Final Fantasy three, I think. I think he's trying to beat it. Okay, awesome. So, I mean, I, I like the old school. You know, kind of going back to that stuff. Um, do you know if he might get into kind of like the uh, the midway, like the mid range, like Metal Gear from from way back in the day with all the stealthy stuff? Yeah, I'm sure. Just whatever he hasn't absolutely well, yeah i mean it's i actually i was watching some article where you know this new metal gear doesn't have any kind of stealth in it whatsoever uh, I, uh, or yeah i mean i thought that was like a um i mean i don't know that much I, i'm not the main thing about it. yeah but i mean i thought that that was kind of like the main drive of the thing was to sneak which i mean i think it's a great thing especially since uh, we had a big conversation about this where um i think people are obsessed with like beating it just in a matter of days and it's like you plop down the money, why don't you take some time and, you know, get through the nooks and crannies of everything and, and try it out. You know, I don't know why everybody's in such a hurry, but I don't know. As always, I digress. Uh, but, uh, yes, this has been the Diabolical Index for March 5th, 2018. Uh, I guess it'd be, uh, entry three, episode five, entry three, because I do have those, um, I just I have to be difficult, right? So I mean I'm gonna have like the non-entry episodes with the uh, choose your own or Oh actually, yeah, speaking of choose your own adventure, I found a pretty cool one in my stuff. Runaway spaceship. Check this out. Yeah, runaway spaceship with this gigantic um Admiral Akbar looking dude on there. It's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> so and oh my god, it, it's so funny. This is definitely original. This is not a reprint whatsoever. Because oh my gosh, and some kid had uh, had made a, a big notation about which ones that he had had. And I didn't know this, but I guess the first uh, choose your own adventure from Bantam Skylark would have been the it would have been the original one. It's called the Circus. So it's pretty simple, right? But those are fun. So. If you want to do that one next week, let me know. Uh, if you want to keep going with the Hamlet story, because uh, there's there's still tons of stuff to do with um, To Be or Not to Be, we barely even scratched the surface with Ophelia last uh, last week. I guess it was just last week. Man, I don't even know what time's passing so weirdly right now because. Also, that'd be fun. What's that now? Also, that'd be fun, that book. Oh, this one, the runaway spaceship. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna have to embellish a little bit because it's most definitely kid stuff. But, uh, I can do that. I'm good on the fly, you know, making different things up. But, um, but uh, I wasn't saying, oh yeah, with the, uh, to be or not to be, maybe, you know, maybe we'll mix it up, maybe throw that in this time and then get back to, uh, to be or not to be in the next non-entry episode. Because, uh, I'm kind of curious as to what, because I mean, I'm, I would like to think that if you become King Hamlet the first, uh, famously he's dead. So, like, it it makes me wonder that if you're just running around as a ghost the whole time. So, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, As always, I'm Corey Dawson, live from um, uh, Paradox City Books and Games, Rising Sun, Indiana. Uh, This has been the uh, the Diabolical Index, if I can speak right now. I'm so tired. (laughs) But uh, thanks for coming to see me.